We are continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we are calling this sermon series the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to be just taking a journey over these many weeks, walking with Jesus, learning from Jesus, so that we can look and sound and become the kind of people who represent Jesus in this world. Today I want to set the stage by looking at the difference between keeping the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And as I was taking a look at what that might mean in our day, I came across a recent article in the Journal of Experimental Child Psychology. Here's the, what the article is titled, Crime But Not Punishment. Children are more lenient towards rule breaking when the spirit of the law is unbroken. Let me read to you some of the findings of the research. The researchers worked with Chicago's Museum of Science and Industry where they presented 76 children aged 4 to 10 with two stories about a boy named Timmy who violates a rule and then is asked to decide whether, that, whether what Timmy did was wrong or whether he should be punished. In the scenario, children were not allowed to take home more than four books from the library. The reasons for that rule were because that is what fits in a child's backpack, and that teachers do not want the books to get lost or dirty. The children in the study learned that Timmy took home six books because he wanted to share two books with a sick friend. In the first scenario, the children are also told that Timmy brought a book bag that was large enough to hold those six books thus protecting them from damage, which was really the spirit of the rule. Whereas in the second scenario, no mention is made of how the books are protected. So the researchers intentionally gave Timmy an altruistic motive, which that is helping a sick friend in order to minimize the participant's moral judgment of Timmy. Now in the scenario that does not mention Timmy's book bag, that is then the children didn't know that, that he would have a book bag big enough, 100% of the children said that Timmy broke the rule and 100% said that he should be punished by missing recess. But in the study that mentions the size of his backpack, thus indicating that only the letter of the rule was violated, but not the spirit of the rule, 93.9% .9 of the children said that he did break the rule, but just 4.1%. 4.1% thought that he should be punished. So when they found out that he did not break the spirit of the rule, 4.1% only said he should be punished. While the study found some leniency among older children when the letter of the rule was broken, age had little overall influence of their judgments. So that is, from age 4 to 10, most kids from 4 to 10, they kept with the spirit of the rule. Here's what the researchers conclude. They concluded that it shows, quote, that it shows that kids understand the difference between literal rules and intention and that they are capable of exploring that. We make assumptions that kids are overly focused on the nitty-gritty of rules, but this data tells us that by the age of four or five, kids understand that rules are important because of their intention. Kids can identify and see the spirit of a rule. So, this, this is something that, it, that children can, are strong with. They can identify the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. 
It just so happens that as you get older, we tend to lose that ability. We tend to lose that talent for dis distinction. And we often start to hone in on the letter of the law. We really bear down on making sure everyone keeps within the letter of the law. We make sure to keep those boundaries nice and neat and tidy. And we see that this happens particularly in a religious context. And as we move quickly through the story of the Gospel of Mark, we come to two stories in our passage today that show how the religious leaders of the day really grab tightly onto the letter of the law. But as they did it, they missed the spirit of the law and missed the heart of God in the process. And we want to take a journey through those two stories. And let's set the stage. So we're going to just set the stage with a summary slide from last week. So take a look at this slide from last week. From our passage last week, we noted that the world invites the best and the brightest, but, but Jesus invites the corrupt and the ignored. The world would invite the, the righteous and the well-off, and yet Jesus would invite the dirty and the ignored. And then in that last part of our passage last week, we noted, as Jesus explored this teaching, that the world would invite rigid rules and rituals, and yet Jesus invites relationship. Now, Jesus does have an interest in rules and rituals, but they are always in service of a relationship. And Jesus, we saw, teaches us that the relationship trumps the rules and rituals. And he challenges the religious leaders who had become very rigid in their rule-keeping, so much so that they had oppressed the people. And this week we take that last line, that the world invites rigid rules and rituals, and Jesus invites relationship. And Paul, what Mark's going to do for us is he's now going to record two stories where he takes that theme and pulls the thread. And we get to see that happening on a wider scale with one rule in particular as it relates to keeping the Sabbath. And so that's where we want to go this morning. So we're going to jump into the first of two stories this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2. We're picking up with verse 23. Here's where we read Mark chapter 2 verse 23. We read this account. One Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God, he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So here we have a moment where the religious leaders see Jesus picking grain on the Sabbath. Now what I don't want us to see is the Pharisees entering, uh, trying to get Jesus into a gotcha moment. The Pharisees have a valid point. There really was a command to keep the Sabbath. It's part of the Ten Commandments. That they were to keep the Sabbath as God kept the Sabbath in creation. And so the Pharisees see Jesus picking grain and they have a valid question to ask him. 
And it's important for us to understand here that the Sabbath was an important part of Jewish culture and of their identity. It was part of their relationship with the God of Israel. And so I want to take a look at what one scholar has to say about the Sabbath and how it fit into Jewish life for the Israelites. Take a look. This is what one scholar says. Keeping the Sabbath was, of course, one of the Ten Commandments. It was one of the things that marked out the Jews over the centuries from their pagan neighbors. It wasn't an odd moral commandment which people observed to earn merit or favor with God. It was a sign that they belonged. That's relationship. They belonged to the true God, the creator of the world who had himself rested on the seventh day. And so we, what, what we want to understand is that the Sabbath had a relational dimension. That in keeping the Sabbath, you entered into a deeper relationship with God. And that was part of what was happening here as Jesus is walking through those grain fields. Now Jesus here answers by saying he's not, he's not breaking this law, at least the spirit of this law. Now there's, there's two directions that he comes at the response. And let's take the latter first, where he does deal with that spirit of the law. That is that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath, part of what the Sabbath did for the people of Israel was train them to be holy. And so these farmers would be tempted to work seven days a week at all hours, harvesting every ounce of profit from the land, that they could get greedy. Now working every day is not, does not reveal a greedy heart. But it can be a temptation, and all the way back to when God was forming the nation of Israel, he required them to take a day of rest for, those, for that people. And it was, that was different than any other nation around them. And it was training them to be holy, that is not to be greedy. It also protected the laborers under their employers. So that the laborers were not required to work themselves to the bone so that every ounce of profit could be harvested from the land. And so the Sabbath had a protective element to it, drawing people into the holiness of God, which included compassion. And so when Jesus is walking along the grain fields, one of the things he's saying back to the Pharisees is that this is not a profit grab. This this pulling of grain in the field is not a matter of me trying to, to, to uh, squeeze every ounce of profit from the grain of the land in front of me. This is not Jesus and his disciples being greedy. And therefore, he's not breaking the spirit of the law here. Maybe the letter, but definitely not the spirit of the law. But then Jesus, in his first response, if we go to the former response actually has something to say about himself. And this is something we should not miss. He pulls an illustration back from the Old Testament, and he puts himself on par with King David. You remember what he does here, what we just read. He says, what I'm doing is like what King David did. This is very important for us to see, because remember the Gospel of Mark, it launches with, this is the good news of Jesus the Messiah. And so from the get-go in the story, Jesus is, is, is declaring that he is the coming king. Remember, the Jews are waiting for, yearning for a coming king. They're waiting for a Messiah that would free them from the oppression 
of Roman rule there in Palestine. And so they know that God has promised that there would be an heir to the throne of King David and that that heir would be the eternal king for Israel. And he would be anointed in special relationship with the God of Israel. And here Jesus says, I'm that king. The moment he puts himself on par with King David, he is declaring that he's the heir to the throne. Now I want you to understand, when David went in this moment, breaking the letter of this law, eating this bread in this house of worship that only the priest could eat, David was not a priest, he was, he was under specific circumstances. Take a look. I want you to see what was going on with David here. Uh, let's take a look at David. He was anointed at this time. Samuel the prophet had anointed David. Saul was still king, but he was anointed. David was anointed, but he wasn't enthroned. He hadn't yet taken his throne. He was gathering support. He was actually on the run from Saul. And he was waiting to be crowned. David was still not yet crowned king on his throne. It's interesting that at that very moment in David's life, with all of those things in place, we find Jesus relating to David in that place. Because if you had to take an assessment of where Jesus was in his ministry, in his kingship, when he is picking grain from the grain fields, like David was eating the sacred bread from the house of worship, take a look at where we see Jesus in his ministry. He has been anointed, not yet enthroned. He was anointed in his baptism, but he's not yet enthroned. He is right now in his ministry, even as he's picking grain from the fields, he is gathering support. And he is also waiting to be crowned. And that will come after he goes to the cross, he is resurrected, and he ascends to heaven to sit on his throne at the right hand of the Father. And so when Jesus declares himself on par with David, all of this is in the background. The Pharisees are missing all of it because they are holding so tightly to the letter of the law. But I want you to see that Jesus here takes a moment to take them a layer deeper, to a deeper layer of who he is. And if you remember, when we started this walk through the Gospel of Mark, a key theme that we will find as we take a journey through Mark is that who Jesus is becomes a very important question all the way through until we get to the cross and the resurrection. And so here Jesus makes another declaration of who he is. With all of that said then, we need to then take ourselves to the next part of the story. The next part of the story. And that's where we find this, the Pharisees grabbing tighter onto the letter of the law to the point where they completely miss the heart of God. So we're going to take a look, Mark chapter 3 now. Let's take a look at the second story. We're watching the same theme pulled through, but now from a different angle. Here it is, Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Now we're going to call that, by the way, a gotcha moment. We're now to that point. They wanted to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if, they, that, see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asks them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. 
He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Here we see how ingrained their habit for keeping the letter of the law had become. This isn't just a matter of the Sabbath being a relational command to draw them closer to the God of Israel. This is the command of Sabbath keeping being layered with tradition and rules that had become oppressive. So much so that even when there was an opportunity to give life, which the Sabbath in the end could give life, they now, these leaders of Israel, were ripping away every opportunity for a life-giving moment. And that's because the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath, had actually become a badge of identity. It, they had actually become proud that they were such strict rule keepers. I want you to see how one scholar describes this. He says this, the Sabbath was a badge of Jewishness for people who'd been persecuted and killed simply for being Jewish. It was a national flag that spoke of freedom to come. When God would finally liberate Israel from pagan oppression, it marked out those who kept it as God's special people. It became their national flag, but their national flag now blinded them to what God was doing. You see, they had, they had taken that badge of identity and now allowed it to mark themselves as the special ones while everyone else were the other. They were the dirty ones. Everyone else was the ignored ones. They were the ones who had the right badge, the right flag, and they waved it with pride. And all along the way, they were blind to what God was actually doing. They were keeping the letter of the law so tightly that they missed the spirit of what God was doing. I want to summarize it with this statement here. The Pharisees held on so tightly to their badge of Sabbath keeping that they missed what God was doing through Jesus and they missed God's heart for people. And that's a very real temptation, not just in their day, but our day. It was a temptation for God's people well before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. God's people have always struggled with keeping the letter of the law so tightly that they miss what God is actually doing and calling his people to do. I want you, we're going to take a look at one particular place where that is glaringly clear. The prophet Isaiah had something to say to the people of Israel. And the, the law they were keeping at that time was this law of fasting. And the people had stuck so closely to the letter of the law of fasting that they missed the very heart of God. I want to take a look at this passage. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation because I think that the New Living Translation on this passage actually gets the meaning of the text here uh, most accurately. Isaiah 58, 1 through 7. Listen to how the people miss the very spirit of the law because they grab so tightly to the letter. Here's what it says, what Isaiah writes, Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet, they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn about me. They act like a righteous nation. 
that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice. This is their prayer to God, by the way. I will tell you why I respond. This is God responding. I will tell you why. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress up in burlap and you cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. That's the kind of fasting God's looking for. Here's an instance where the people held so tightly to the letter of the law, became so proud in their rule keeping, in their suits and ties, that they missed the heart of God. And when Jesus shows up on the scene and he comes into the temple, uh, comes into the synagogue on that day and sees a man with a shriveled hand and he gets questioned if he would actually do good on that day, the Pharisees, the Pharisees try to shut him down because they were holding so tightly to their badge of Sabbath keeping. Now the irony in the passage and Mark does not want us to miss it because he says immediately, right after this scene, which tells us probably on the very same day, on the Sabbath, on the very same day that the Pharisees have told Jesus that he's breaking the law, they go out and plot murder. And if you know your Ten Commandments well enough, you know there's a commandment there that says, you shall not murder or kill. The irony that on the very day Jesus is accused of breaking the law for healing a man, they go off to plot murder. They go off to plan to break the law. And that should not be lost on us. You see, if I had to boil it all down into a statement, I would say that God calls his people to the higher law of love. And when you get love, you get all the other rules and rituals along with it. And here in these two stories, we see the constant tension that I don't just think they faced, but we face in being able to keep the spirit of the law. So let's take all of that and make some application for our life like right where we find ourselves in the life we're living. So I've got some questions I want to ask along the way because one theme we see throughout these two stories is the question of who Jesus is. So let's start there. Let's start there. Every person will ultimately have to answer to deal with this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now, it would be a lot easier 
If, if God simply gave us five bullet points and said, you've got to do these five bullet points and you can have your ticket into heaven. But what you and I are gonna, going to have to deal with is a relationship, not a rule. That's what you and I will ultimately have to deal with. And there are way too many preachers and pastors and religious men and women in our world today that are hawking, that is, they're selling God as, as a rule keeper or a, a rule giver rather than someone who ultimately is driving to a relationship. Because in the end, heaven will not just be a carnival of rules. It will be, it will be the intimacy of a relationship. Now don't think that doesn't include a certain kind of life. But you will not boil down heaven into a set of rules. And so you and I will have to deal with who is Jesus. Is he really king? Does he really have authority? Or do you live your life as if you have the authority? We've I mean, got to really think about that. And I don't mean just like brush over this, okay? I got like 10 more seconds and I need to get to the next slide. But understand... This is a question we will have to deal with. And so take it seriously. Who is Jesus? Here's why I say this is going to be the ultimate question. It's because of this. This is what I fundamentally believe, this next slide right here. You, who you think Jesus is determines how you relate to him, and how you relate to him impacts everything. Everything. Like how you eat breakfast, how you use your body, the words you use how you relate to people you don't like, or how you treat someone that has hurt you. Jesus will impact every part of your life. And so you need to understand who he is so you understand how to relate to him. So let's go to another angle then on the two stories because we see the Pharisees missing some things. I think those are some questions you're going to have to ask. I'm going to have to ask right here. Let's ask this first question right here on this next slide. Do you lack a relationship with Jesus because you're holding something else too tightly? Really think about that one. What do you hold on to? Like, what do you think about often? What's the thing that you are not going to miss every day? What's the thing you're going to make sure happens? What do you judge your day by? Are you holding on to something so tightly that you're missing Jesus? Now, you may need the Holy Spirit's help or someone else's help in your life to answer this question because typically when we're blind to something, we don't know it because we're blind. That's usually the way deception works. You may not even know that you're missing Jesus. This is why we need each other in the family of the church, by the way. But really, think about this one. What are you holding on to so tightly that you never want to give it up? This can even be your spouse. It can be your kids, your reputation. I mean, I don't know what it is for you. I'm going to let God deal with that. And if you think that I'm stepping on your toes right now, I am. Because you're doing some hard work of application. I don't know exactly what you're thinking about, but I imagine this question might get under your skin a little bit. And then, then this, one. this one. really, This one really starts to tear a little bit. Because remember, there were, there, they were missing this other piece. Are you struggling to love others because you are holding something else too tightly? If I could speak frankly, obviously no one's going to stand up and stop me, so I'll continue. 
Can, can you as a Republican love a Democrat? Do you hold your Republicanism so tightly that you can't love a Democrat? Or as a Democrat, do you hold that party affiliation so tightly that you can't love a Republican? Now that's going to get real for us in the next 499 days. As I hear there's a countdown every day. They're showing it on the news. But I want you to think about this. Do you hold, what do you hold so tightly that you aren't loving others? Do you hold the way you look so tightly that anyone that looks a little more disheveled or dirty, you can't love? Think about this. On Wednesdays, we have a food pantry. I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you do, but it sounded better to say it that way. Is, and we give out food to those that have needs. And now that I'm here on Wednesdays at that regular two hours, I get to meet a lot of different people come through those doors and hand them food. Some of those people look like they're doing just fine. And some of those people look like they need that food a lot. And you know what I do every time they walk in the door? I learn their name. Because I figure, although they often look very different than me, I can learn their name because their name gives them integrity. Now, if they need that food or not, that's not for me to judge in that moment. What I know I can do is I can often touch them on the back with a pat on the back and learn their name and be kind to them and show them respect as they get their food and leave. Now, just so you know, we've had a lot of people come through these doors over the last two months, and so we have a food drive coming up. I want you to know that the food you bring is helping people in this community. So don't be bashful in bringing in that food. You can bring it in this week, next week, and even the week following. But I want you to think about this question. I want you to think about this question. Are you holding on to something so tightly that you can't love others? And I'm going to... Then take all of this now to this next slide. I think this is where we need to move as we, as we, as we wrap up an application. Are you, are you hungry like the disciples? Or are you crippled like that man with the withered hand? Because the piece of the story we didn't deal with today is the fact that some of you in this room, you're not feeling like the Pharisees who hold so tightly to the letter of the law that you miss the spirit of the law. You just feel hungry you feel tired, and you feel like you are falling apart. And what I want you to hear as we wrap up an application is that Jesus actually cares for you. Jesus would be the one in your life right now saying to you, if no one else is, stand up and stretch out your hand. He'd be right there alongside you picking grain in the fields to help feed you. So if you're feeling like them, the disciples or the crippled man, you go to Jesus. You go to Jesus. I don't know how he's going to help you, but Jesus will not fail you. And so remember that along the way here. So let's take a next step. Let's take a next step. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sit for this. Uh, and for all of you who have been so proud and always compliment me how long my sermons are, that is, they're shorter, uh, I have blown that open today because I want to have a conversation about this one. Here's the next step. Identify where you might be keeping the letter of the law but missing the spirit of it. 
And then that's where I think we can take a next step. Let me, let me show you then how I was processing this this week. And I had a really hard time with this. Usually I got my act together. Usually I come up here looking like everything's well prepared and rehearsed. This one, I can't do it with. Look at what, how I process this one. So here's the next slide. One day this week, here's how I want to take that. One day this week, stop doing one thing you do daily and use that time to do an act of love for someone else. That's how I process that next step for me. I just want you to know how difficult this next step has been for me. I don't have a good answer for you on what this might look like. So as I sat with these two stories, what continued to come to mind was how much I love reading by myself. How much I love my morning time. And yet, bless her heart, my three-year-old daughter does not understand my desire or need. And so for many days, so for several days, for several months, I will get up early and I get my coffee and I sit down to read my Bible, Bible, and she will get up right as I sit down. And you know what goes through my head? <sighs> maybe a bad word, maybe a bad word, something bad might go through my head, and I think, why is she up? Why is she up? Just go back to bed. Go back to bed. I have to read my Bible. Don't you understand? I'm a godly man. I have to read my Bible. This is my time. And I sometimes can have a sharp word. Do you see the disconnect here? I'm wanting to read my Bible, calling it my time, and my three-year-old comes in and I have a sharp word. And then want to go back to reading my Bible, feeling good about myself. You see the disconnect? And so throughout the week, I've been thinking through this. Could I give up my reading time, let go of it, just sit on the couch ready for her to come in, knowing she's going to interrupt it, and be joyful? Could I be joyful giving up that time? See, the letter of the law says I've got to read my Bible every day. Letter of the law says I've got to pray every day. I have to have my devotions. And if you interrupt that, you obviously have misunderstood what God wants of me. But I tend to think God is much more concerned about how I hug and hold and love my three-year-old than if I read my Bible that day at that time. But man, this one's been hard for me. And don't think this doesn't happen at other times during the day as well. I'm just picking the morning when this might happen. And so I'm just letting you know, I really don't know exactly how this is going to play out in my own life. Because this one's hard for me. I really like my rules and my rituals. And I like having everything set out nice and neat and having God in my box. And my kids have a way of blowing that up. And I am still struggling with that. And other people do as well, but my kids are the ones that can do it on a daily basis. I know what I need to do. I knew what this, the, how this next step looked from my life. But I can't stand up here and promote this with any integrity as if I have figured this one out. This one's still a struggle for me. And so I just wanted to share with you a story so you could understand what this might begin to look like for your life. I'm just saying these two stories 
in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus is really pushing us forward to understand who he is and the spirit of the law can really, really disrupt a life. And that's a good thing, but it's not an easy thing. So maybe you'll just come along with me in that journey. But if you think I have this figured out, I am far from it. I am simply someone coming to you who has sat with the text a little bit and can walk with you on the journey. So we'll, we'll take this one into the week and see how it continues to play out. But that's what I have for you. So take that next step, do it with it as you can and as you will, and we'll see how Jesus continues to draw us to himself. So let me pray in that direction and then we'll move to a time of response. Father, I just thank you for disrupting us. Uh, make us more like children. Make us more like a people who can understand and live with the spirit of the law. That we can move to a place where we understand your heart for people, where we can be drawn to your son. Bring us to a place where we can repent of our sins so that we can move into deeper relationship. Forgive us where we think we are God and where we think we hold the authority. And for those times when we are just downcast, feel like the cripple, and we're hungry, we come to you and say, help us, please. And meet us in a unique way, right where you find us, and help us out. We're going to need that, because we can't do this on our own. So thanks for being gracious with us. Thanks for being gracious with us, and we'll see what you do with us in the weeks and months and years to come as you shape us into a particular kind of people who look more and more and act more and more like Jesus. And together as a family, here today, we can pray. In 